another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of DPP and Ziegler. The citation for this case is 2021 UKSC 23. And this is an especially relevant case because it discusses the right to protest in the context of criminal law and human rights, which has been in the news recently because of the Kill the Bill protests. In these proceedings, the actual protest dated back to 2017, and took place at the Excel Centre in London, where the Defence and Security International Arms Fair was being held. Unsurprisingly, such an event is more than a little controversial, and attracted protesters who were campaigning against the arms trade. However, their actions went quite a bit further than just carrying placards around, as these protesters lay down in the middle of one side of an approach road to the Excel Centre, and locked themselves to lockboxes. It's a bit hard to explain what these lockboxes look like, but they are essentially a pipe where two people put a hand in at each end, and they lock themselves to an iron bar in the middle. If multiple people do this, then it can create a human barrier that is more difficult to take apart than if the people were just holding hands, for example. Anyway, the police were also on hand for the um, event in anticipation of protests. After trying to persuade the protesters to remove themselves, they were forced out of the lockboxes and arrested. The charge against them was willful obstruction of a highway without lawful authority or excuse under section 137 subsection 1 of the Highways Act 1980. But they were later acquitted at the trial before Stratford Magistrates Court. The judge in that case took account of the right to freedom of expression under Article 10 of the European Convention on Human Rights, as well as the right to freedom of assembly under Article 11. They found that the prosecution had not done enough to demonstrate that the obstruction of the highway was unreasonable, because the protest was limited, targeted and peaceful. As a result, the defendants had successfully established the defence of lawful excuse. The Director of Public Prosecutions, who is the respondent in this case, appealed by way of case stated to the Divisional Court, where the appeal was allowed and a direction was made for convictions to be entered. According to the judgment, the problem was with the assessment of proportionality, because a fair balance was not struck between the interests of the protesters and the interests of other members of the public. The protesters launched an appeal to the Supreme Court, which raised two key points. Firstly, what test an appellate court should actually use when assessing the trial court's use of the lawful excuse defence when convention rights are engaged in a criminal matter. And secondly, if lawful excuse can be used as a defence to section 137, where the impact on other highway users is more than minimal and prevents them from passing along the highway. We know that Article 10 and 11 of the Convention are proportional rights, and so the courts needed to look at whether the public authority's interference with the right was proportional or not. If it was not proportional, then the defence of lawful excuse will be allowed to stand. The test applied in criminal proceedings by way of case stated is whether the conclusion of the court was one that was reasonably open to it. For those who have studied a bit of public law, the higher court is basically asking whether the findings of the lower court were perverse or Wensbury irrational. This is obviously a strict test, but it reflects the fact that an appeal is based on the law, not the facts. And so the mistake has to be so severe that no reasonable court could have arrived at that conclusion. The problem in these proceedings was that the divisional court instead applied a different test, 
found in the 2013 Supreme Court decision of In Re B. That rule states that an appeal will be allowed when the decision of a lower court was wrong in either law or fact, but In Re B was a family law case that examined the civil procedure rules, whereas this is a criminal case. That's important here because we are making an assessment of proportionality, and any mistake is likely to be recognised as an error of law. If it wasn't a mistake of law, that is almost certainly because it was an egregious error based on the facts, which brings us back round to the stricter test. Now that we have the correct test to apply, the justices moved on to the second question, which, as a reminder, was whether the deliberate obstruction was capable of being a lawful excuse under section 137 of the Highways Act 1980. The case law of the European Court of Human Rights clearly establishes that Articles 10 and 11 of the Convention allow for protests that take the form of intentionally disrupting others, although the intent and extent of the disruption are relevant factors to take into account. In these proceedings, the demonstration was intended to be peaceful. It was specifically targeted at those attending the arms fair, and was limited to under two hours of duration. All of this points in favour of the appellants, and so the fact that the trial judge ended up finding in their favour was not beyond the realms of what would be considered reasonable. As such, they won their appeal, and the order of the divisional court directing convictions is set aside. Um, before we get onto our own analysis of this case, it is important to note that this was a majority decision, with Lord Sales and Lord Hodge dissenting in part. There is not much to say about that, except that they would have upheld the decision of the divisional court, because the assessment of proportionality should be consistent, but would have remitted the case back to the Magistrates' Court for a further consideration of the facts. I think that is the wrong approach, and I agree with the majority who imposed a stricter test. The reason that the test has always been so strict is that appeals are about challenging the law, and not simply rehashing the facts of the case. Trial judges are best placed to hear all of the evidence, and put together everything that happened before coming to a decision. Not only is it inefficient for higher courts to do the exact same thing, but they will also be less effective as well, because much of the evidence will be second-hand by this point, and time will have passed by the time things get to an appellate court. The outcome is the right one as well. While legislation and government policy often limits the right to protest, that means it is up to the courts, upholding human rights, to defend it as best they can, even if that is after the fact. This will only become more true if the Police, Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill is passed by Parliament. That bill has been in the news in the past few months as kill the bill protests took place across the country. In its current form, the new legislation would severely curtail the right to protest in circumstances where it is either too noisy or inconvenient. Of course, that is the entire point of protesting. If you're not making yourself heard, then you're not doing it right. The actions in these proceedings would likely fall within the remit of the Act, and that is a shame because, as the Justices pointed out, this was a peaceful demonstration that was limited in time and scope. If that is to become illegal, then the future of direct democracy in this country is under severe threat. Before I finish this episode, I just want to say a little bit more also about the Judicial Review Bill that was published last week. A lot of the legal commentary around the proposals is that it isn't as bad as was expected, and this is a bit of a damp squib. I think this is pretty irresponsible reporting, and feel the need to call it out. The original proposals would have absolutely devastated judicial review, and the fact that what is published is only about 10% as bad 
it does not mean we should not continue to be concerned. If someone threatens to kill you and only ends up cutting off your hand, then that's an improvement, but you're still left without a hand. I talk about it a bit more in the newsletter last week, but one of the other issues is that people think the government have reduced their attack because the president of the Supreme Court has fallen into line and is doing more to respect government decisions. Whether that is true or not, it is worrying that Lord Reed has the appearance of being cowed by unenacted laws, and his failure to act and be bold in a number of recent decisions suggests that he might go down as one of the worst justices in Supreme Court history. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode. I'll be back with another edition next week, but for now, bye!